In the late 18th century, William Wilberforce was converted. Almost single-handedly, he broke the shackles of slavery. People there were just totally different. We are looking at the footprint of God over the last 2,000 years. Since the Roman legion destroyed Jerusalem in the year 70 A.D., the Jewish people have a nation of their own. And he said, well, no, Randy, we're not all just faking it. There is a living hope, and his name is Jesus. And I believe that that's really why you're here. Christ died for us. History Makers. Hi, welcome to History Makers. I'm Matt Prater. Today we're speaking with the Reverend Dr. Robert McFarlane. Now, Rob and I had the opportunity to visit Israel together earlier this year and got a chance to have a look around all the holy sites. And I really appreciated having Rob with me because he's been there a couple of times before and has a fair bit of understanding of the history of the place and uh, geographically where things lay in the land. And uh, he's a minister at St. Ives Uniting Church in Sydney, Australia. And uh, he's also uh, an avid Facebooker. He's just joined Twitter recently. And uh, he's a great man of God. It's great to have him on the line at the moment. How are you, Reverend Dr. Rob? I'm doing really well. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for the introduction. And uh, that Reverend Dr. Rob is uh, very similar to my Twitter handle, as you know, Rev.Rob. Rev.Rob. There you go. Well, let's hope you get some more followers today, hey? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> now, mate, um, for those who don't know much of your story, let's start with the beginning. Tell us a bit about where you were born and raised and what life was like for you as a young fella. Yeah, sure. Uh, I've always lived in Sydney, even though I've... Uh, tried to escape a few times and travelled a lot, but I, I grew up on the north side of Sydney in a suburb called Mossman, uh, just near the zoo by the water, and some people who know Sydney will go, oh, Mossman, all snooty, but uh, back in those days it wasn't such a super wealthy, uber-rich suburb, and it was a great place to grow up on the water, learning how to sail in sea scouts and row and all that sort of stuff. Grew up spending my weekends on the water, so mm -hmm. it was a Fantastic place. Um, the zoo was always sort of backdrop. My old man and my father-in-law, as he became, both used to walk down to catch the ferry to work in the city and walked through the zoo. So that was uh, yeah, a great place to grow up. Okay, and was church a big part of your early life? No, no. In fact, um, my family weren't involved in church at all, and my sister has christened me the, the white sheep of the family, is the only <laughs> one who is. Um, but I, um, when I was a teenager... I, I thought I was having the best time of my life, um, although I often nowadays say I was the kind of teenager you hope won't sit next to you on the bus or the train. Mm. But I, I was having this, what I thought was a great time, but my life was really out of control um, in terms of the whole sort of teenage 1970s stuff. And occasionally I used to get really depressed. Um, I didn't recognise it as depression back then, but I guess nowadays we've got a lot more aware of it. But I, I was talking to a, another friend at school, this is uh, year 11, and you know, talking about this sort of depression, and he said, well, I don't know what to say to help you, but I've started going to youth group, and that's helped me a lot. So I started going along to a youth group at Scotts Kirk at Mossman, Presbyterian Church, and um, I, uh, I learnt a lot in Bible studies about Jesus, um, but I hadn't met Jesus. But there was a particular Sunday night. It was Palm Sunday, 1976. Mm -hmm. And I was... Uh, the, the minister, Ron Sparks, who went on into the Uniting Church, one of our finest ministers, mm -hmm. he, was, he was preaching a fairly conventional Palm Sunday sermon, I guess, of saying, 
you know, and it was a sun, it was a Sunday evening of Palm Sunday. So talking about after all the excitement of the morning and the, you know, the waving the palms and clothes and everything, that um, by the end of the week, the people who'd cried Hosanna would be crying crucify and his followers, I mean, Judas would betray him, Peter deny him, the rest abandon him. Uh, the Jewish leaders didn't recognize him as Messiah. The Romans put him to death. Like literally everyone in the world, you know, everyone in the gospel stories had abandoned him. Yet he still went to the cross for all of them. And at any, you know, so many points during that week from Palm Sunday on, he could have uh, backed off. Yeah. He said, no, 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 got it wrong. You know, trial before the Sanhedrin. So, um, so as well, listening to that sermon, I, I kind of was shifting from the stuff I knew about Jesus, you know, to, you know, I was getting quite agitated inside. But also, and this is sort of the dark side of the church that we all experience sometime or other. I mean, this minister was being kind of hassled a lot because he wanted to go into the Uniting Church and that congregation didn't want to. And mm-hmm. I could see he was being pushed to leave. And I thought, yet yeah, he's still turning up, ministering every every Sunday, caring for people. And it, suddenly it was like all this change from being just kind of head knowledge to heart and soul knowledge where I realized, well, this life of Jesus that Ron was talking about was absolutely true for him and in that deepest sense. And if it was true for him in that deepest sense that it's what drove his life, then it was true for Christ. And in the moment after the sermon, you know, when there are prayers happening and I don't think I was taking a taking a word of the prayers of intercession, I was praying my own prayer and just kind of got, you know, this agitation just spilt over and suddenly I had that kind of like a golden glow moment and mm. met Christ. Okay, so that was at the age of 16. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, you then became the white sheep of the family, as his sister yeah, calls you. Exactly. Did yeah. all your family notice that you, you know, started to clean your act up then? Or you, oh, you, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, very much, yeah. yeah. And yes. uh, did you have a bit more of a spring in your step? Because you said that you were suffering from probably some form of depression. Did you find that you had a bit more joy in your life then? Yeah, yeah, and I guess, you know, it's it's about healing of the whole person, mm-hmm. um, spiritually, um, emotionally, psychologically, and I think now what keeps me going in life in all of that is a sense of purpose, you know, mm. that I've got purpose in life um, by being part of God's purpose for the world, you know, to mm. put it simply. Tell us about the next steps for you. Uh, what did you do when you finished school? Did you go to university, study? Like, did you did you feel like you were ready to become a minister soon after that? Well, what was the journey between uh, the next step? Yeah, I mean, but, but all good questions. Mm. Yeah, unusually, I guess, quite soon after coming to faith, I felt called to the ministry. So coming to faith, like I was just talking about, happened in year 11. Uh, but then in, in year 12, I was trying to think what I should put down for my on my form to apply to go to uni. And even though my life had been very out of control, I was still kind of managing to keep fairly good marks up and was deciding in year 12, would I do medicine or would I do kind of biological sciences? And um, being a, a new Christian and maybe fairly uh, concrete in my thinking, I was asking God for a fleece and I was praying and praying and praying and and putting those two options before God, um, saying, should I be a doctor? Should I do um, science? And it was the first time in my prayer life that I felt like there was nothing there, no one on the other side, and started to doubt 
the whole experience. But it was, again, in a bit of agitation and just saying to God, well, what do you want me to be? Mm -hmm. Um, And I heard the words inside my head, you're going to be a minister. Wow. Yeah, so it wasn't like... Um, I want you to, or whatever. It was like a, a prediction of the future. And, yeah, so very soon after that, I applied, and the Uniting Church had just come into being, and I applied through Uniting Church processes and was accepted to train for ministry. I mean, even, yeah, like, what you know, I went and talked to someone, and their advice, even mm-hmm. in Year 12, was go and do something that might be useful, helping-wise, like psychology or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. So I studied psychology, okay. and in my first year at uni doing psych, um, they accepted me as a candidate. That's our jargon, meaning you're, you are training for ministry even though you're not in seminary or college. So I did three years of psych, and the Uniting Church also said go and work for a couple of years to get a little bit of maturity. Mm-hmm. So I worked for a Baptist church, Petersham Baptist Church um, in Sydney, uh, in a hostel they have called Flo Harris Lodge, where I was the youth worker counsellor. So I worked there for a couple of years. So tell us a bit about um, all these letters behind your name. So I've got your title here, Reverend Dr. Robert McFarlane, BA, BTH, Grad Cert, Uni Teaching and Learning, M.Ed. Leadership, PhD. Um, let's forget about all the early letters. That, that PhD, that's the important one, isn't it? Tell us about your PhD. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, when I went to theological college, doing one of those earlier sets of letters, Bachelor of Theology, I, um, I developed an absolute love for the Gospels, and in particular, Mark's Gospel. And it's funny, I can remember in first year, maybe even first semester, United Theological College, writing an essay on the distinctive characteristics of one of the four Gospels. Mm-hmm. So I think I just chose Mark because it was the shortest. Um, <laughs> I thought, this is manageable. I was an undergraduate. And, um, but just became fascinated because one of the things that's really distinctive in Mark is the way the, the, the disciples are shown. A lot of people say it's the most negative picture of the disciples, but I came to see it was the most mixed. You know, they, they are at their worst and at their best in Mark. And, mm. and that question of how do you understand the disciples and through that Christian discipleship really uh, has driven my Christian thinking pretty much ever since then, that, that gospel question. And so my PhD was pretty much, how do I answer that question? Mm. Whenever I supervise people doing PhDs, I say, what's your question? And they kind of look a bit puzzled and I say, what's your life question? You're not going to get to the end of this program if you don't have the question. Mm. Like, what for you matters? So, so for me, it was about discipleship. And in Mark... And so mm. the grand title of my thesis is Mark's People, The Anatomy of a Community and Its Narrative. Mm. Very and, good. Yeah, yeah, well, one day my supervisor said to me the title was the best part of it. Um, <laughs> so thank you for saying it's very good. I hope the rest of it did improve. I do have yeah. to say, when we were in Israel together and you told me about your thesis on the book of Mark, mm-hmm. I was fascinated. Uh, we, we had a great conversation about it. and I know we had a few chats on the trip. Uh, yeah. And I decided at that point that I would preach a 16-week series on the book of Mark back at my church right. and uh, go through all the Bible stories of, of, uh, of Jesus, you know, uh, all the miracles and all that. And uh, I remember um, thinking, wow, this is going to be so good to preach on because I've just been to all these places, you know, yeah, where Jesus yeah. opened the scroll, where Peter's mother-in-law was healed. You know, I, I can talk about all these places in the context of um, walking through the book of Mark. So thank you yeah. for your inspiration, mate. 
Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I recently um, uh, was preaching on the the passage of the of Legion being cast out. You know, yeah, the man with Legion, uh, the so-called Gerasene demoniac, and mm-hmm. um, used the photo that I took of that uh, cliff face when we were crossing the Sea of Galilee, going, yeah. going from the eastern side near the Golan Heights back to the, the western side to, yeah. to Tiberias. Yeah. Uh, it brings back memories talking yeah. with you and, and talking yeah. about all these places we visited. So one of the things that fascinated me uh, on the trip, you mentioned to me that you and uh, one of the other ministers, Matthew, who came on the trip, have been part of a group who are in dialogue with Jewish leaders in Australia, yeah. uh, connected with Uniting Church. T- tell us about how that, what's, what's the name of that group and, and uh, what's the purpose of it? Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a Uniting Church national body. I mean, our national thing's called the Assembly, so it's a part of the Assembly. And it's just called the Jewish-Christian Dialogue. So even though it's only Uniting Church, we just say Jewish-Christian Dialogue. And it's involved with um, representative Jewish leaders, uh, mostly Sydney and Melbourne, because that's where the, the largest Jewish uh, populations are, mm-hmm. the largest Jewish communities are. And it, it involves a range of... Um, uh, Jewish perspectives, because just like there's diversity in Christianity, there, mm-hmm. there is in Judaism between more conservative and more liberal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are rabbis um, and some lay people. Mm-hmm. Um, but broadly, in Australia, all Jewish organizations, regardless of their kind of theological and practice perspective, are all part of the uh, national Jewish body, and in New South Wales also the, the Jewish Board of Deputies, so each state has those. So um, we meet with them mm-hmm. uh, twice a year for a day each time, and in the morning talk particularly about a, a specific topic, and in the afternoon usually talk about current issues and, and topics. And Matthew, um, Matt Wilson, is our national convener, and he's been on the body for, for quite a few years. Mm-hmm got to be honest and say i've only joined it this year yeah but for me it's really helpful because it both helps me uh understand biblical stuff much better for Mm -hmm. my own sake but also st ives is one of the the main jewish population areas in sydney okay there are a couple of synagogues in our immediate neighborhood Mm -hmm. i've been building relationships between our congregation and one of the synagogues to try to develop some mutual understanding. Mm. So, um, yeah, so it's an important part, a next step for my interests biblically, but also where we are uh, at St Ives. Fantastic. What a, what a great idea. Uh, you shared earlier in the interview about uh, the age of uh, 16, uh, you heard a message about Palm Sunday and about Christ being crucified, and it impacted you so much that you prayed a prayer and decided to start a relationship with God. Have you since forgiven? God is the one who will give you purpose, um, heal the past, and uh, give you a new future. And that comes through Christ in his death, where uh, all our past is nailed to the cross, but also in his resurrection, where we're given a new future, a new life. Um, Through Christ, we meet the one who made us and the one who wants to make us new. Mm. We appreciate uh, your time today. We've been chatting with the Reverend Dr. Robert McFarlane uh, from St. Ives Uniting Church in uh, in Sydney, New South Wales. And it's been uh, a blessing to have you on the program, mate. I reckon you're a history maker. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you, Matt. It's great to talk again. Thanks for joining us on History Makers. If you'd like to listen to this interview again, just go to historymakers.tv. 
There you'll find links to Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to our iTunes podcast or check out our YouTube clips. And you can find out about History Makers TV. We are a faith-based ministry and we appreciate every donation. You know, the vision of History Makers is to share the good news of Jesus Christ to the nations of the world. If you'd like to partner with us, send us an email, info at historymakersradio.com. God bless you. Have an awesome day. I'm Matt Prater, and why don't you go and make history? History Makers. Order your flash drive with 20 of the best History Makers interviews now at historymakers.tv for just $19.95. All proceeds will help History Makers Radio and TV share the gospel all around the world. Order now at station sponsor, historymakers.tv. You'll hear interviews from Mark Burnett, producer of the Bible series and Survivor. Musicians like Paul Coleman, Mark Schultz and George McArdle from the Little River Band. Also Kate Brax, winner of MasterChef 2011, former Olympian Elka Whalen and many more. Order now at historymakers.tv.